Pachango. Welcome to another episode of Tangentially Speaking, not Tangentially Speaking, as some people seem to think. After 580-some episodes, I still have people say to me, so, um, yeah, I listen to your podcast, Tangentially Speaking, all the time, and there's nobody speaking to genitals on this podcast. There are no speaking genitals. There are no chattering vulvas or... Bodacious balls speaking on the podcast. It's tangentially speaking. I, looking back, probably should have chosen a simpler name, but it's too late now. Anyway, welcome to the podcast. This episode is with great perennial friend of the podcast, young Kyle Tierman, my partner in all sorts of crimes. Uh, God, we've traveled the world together. Uh, We have uh, co-created and co-hosted the Motherfucker Awards in Los Angeles, a black tie red carpet event in which those who have done the most to fuck Mother Earth are celebrated or were celebrated for the two years that we did it. Lo and behold, we found it was kind of hard to get corporate sponsors for an event that takes the piss out of corporations. Who saw that coming? But we ran it for two years, largely on Kyle's blood, sweat, and tears, and my contacts in the world of comedy, uh, which came in pretty handy because the idea was that a comedian would accept the award on behalf of Exxon or whomever we were honoring. Uh, So we had all kinds of great comedians who agreed to participate and uh, yeah, and and great presenters. Fantastic. It was largely funded by Nell Newman, uh, the Newman Foundation, the daughter of Paul Newman. So, uh, and also Patagonia and uh, a bunch of other sponsors. But anyway, that was years ago. But Kyle and I came up with that idea one day on a hike in Topanga and Kyle got really excited about it and wanted to do it. And I said to him in no uncertain terms, dude, I'm in the middle of trying to write a book. I am not a man of great ambitions. If you want to do almost all the work, I will do the little bit that remains and I will open my Rolodex to this and I'll get in touch with people and call in favors and whatever else I can do. But the legwork is going to be all you, young man. And uh, to his credit, he fucking did it. He did the legwork. He's a dude with a lot of energy, a lot of discipline, a lot of gumption. And um, yeah, anyway, so we're great friends now. We've been hanging out together God knows how long. He lived in my driveway for months and made me beat tacos uh, regularly, even though I don't really like beets. But what are you going to do when the guy living in your driveway proposes to make you a beet taco dinner? You're just going to eat it, you know? 
Um, those of you who have contacted me saying, when are you going to do a podcast where you talk about your experience with sobriety? Uh, good news for you. Kyle and I talk about it in this episode. Um, I did break this into a paid and free episode. So uh, I think the last half hour or so is available only in the Maxim Deluxe VIP Backstage Pass uh, edition of the podcast, but uh, the first hour, and we do talk about the alcohol in the first hour. I wanted to make sure that was included in the free version. Um, and then after doing this podcast, recording this, I realized that we really never talked about the things that Kyle proposed that we talk about, um, which is the sign of a good podcast when you've got like a list of topics and you never get to it because you just immediately veer off into other more immediate interests. Um, but anyway, we did uh, a few days later, we got back together and uh, recorded another episode uh, where we talk about the things that we actually intended to talk about in this one. So I will release this uh, episode now, and in a couple of days, I will release part two, where we talk about things. I think the main one was that um, Kyle said that the previous time we'd recorded a podcast together, he was in the midst of heartbreak because his first serious relationship uh, had come to a uh, an end and he was going through a lot of transitional pain and he wanted to kind of revisit that you know here's here's the perspective a year or two down the road um and uh so if you're interested in that and i think we also talk about he was going through some work changes as well um so anyway uh that's what part two will be but in this one, I do talk uh, in some depth about my experience of not drinking for over a year now, except for one beer, which I mentioned, um, which I had with my buddy Riley when he was here visiting. And um, yeah, it, it is an interesting experience. It's It's a bizarre thing. It's like something that I spent a lot of time and energy thinking about, anticipating um debating internally and then when it happened it's basically a non-event um there've been a couple of bottles of wine sitting on the shelf downstairs for a year and i don't ever think about like ooh i should should i open that should i have that wine maybe i should have the wine oh but if i have the wine then i want more wine oh my god what am i going to do should i do it am i do i have a problem i don't have a problem i mean I went around in circles for years with this shit. And then when I finally did it, it's just done. It's weird. It's a, it's, it's a strange experience. I mean, I think there must be other things like that in life. I mean, I guess I thought about my dad's death a hell of a lot more in the years he was alive than then, it, well, that's not really true. I mean, I think about him a lot, but it's not fearful now because it happened. You know, thinking about something in anticipation is qualitatively different from thinking about something that's finished. Um, you're still thinking about it, but it's different. You're not, 
You're not considering all the different ways it to, it could turn out. And I, I feel like that's, there's some larger theme um, around life, just like a general feeling of life. And this is something I think I've mentioned many times on the podcast. Um, you know, I have incredible compassion for people in their 20s and 30s who are, not only are they dealing with so much, um, but they're they're being told they should be so happy because they have their whole lives ahead of them. You know, so it's you're you're being gaslit at the same time that you're dealing with all this shit. And um, I got to tell you, as a 61 year old guy that, you know, there are downsides for sure. But a massive upside is that you don't need to worry about how things are going to turn out anymore. Like they've pretty much turned out. And so you can stop spinning your wheels on that. You know, it's like you, you know, it's like when, when I'm out in the van and, and I don't know where I'm going to camp that night and I'm on my way to Idaho and there are a couple different spots, but I'm not sure how long I'm going to want to drive. And, you know, if the sun's going to get obscured by clouds before I get to this place that I was thinking might be kind of cool, or, you know, maybe I'm going to get to that place and all the campsites are taken, or it's not as cool as I thought it was going to be. And then I'm going to, what am I going to do? I mean, the sun's going down and I can't find a place to camp. Am I just going to pull over in a Walmart parking lot somewhere? Or am I going to find a cool place where it's going to be fun to wake up in the morning and blah, 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 blah. That's what it's like being in your twenties, right? And being in your sixties is like, Yep, found this place. It's pretty cool. It's not the best in the world, but it's not the worst. I'm comfortable. I got my hammock set up. Sun's still got another hour or so. Got some firewood gathered. I'm ready. I'm feeling good. That's what it's like getting older, at least in my experience. The difference between a world of possibility and a pretty good reality. I'd say that's uh, that's a pretty good trade. Uh, anything else I need to say? I don't think so. I think I'm just going to let this conversation speak for itself, as they say. Uh, I'm going to play you out with a song that a listener sent in a while ago. It's been sitting in a folder gathering virtual dust. Um, but it's a good song, and it's by a guy named Thomas Oosterlink. The song is called Breadcrumbs, and when he sent me the song, he uh, he sent along the lyrics, which I always appreciate. Um, in this case, you can you can hear pretty well, but uh, yeah, it's uh, it's a song about life. It's a song about looking for truth, looking for reality, trying to disentangle propaganda from information. Uh, at the end, he says, from theory to policy, it's just too much for poor myopic me. I just can't predict it now. Humanity's got bigger eyes than me. I like that. I like the the sense of surrender and humility and acceptance um, that he talks about in this song. So the song's called Breadcrumbs. The artist is Thomas Oosterlink, O-O-S-T-E-R-L-Y-N-C-K. I Googled him. I didn't see a web page for him, but I do see his music on YouTube and TikTok. And 
uh, Spotify and, and around. So hopefully he said this song wasn't released yet. So hopefully I won't get dinged for any copyright violation. Um, but if I do, fuck it, I'll just come back and edit all this out later. Uh, he makes music under the name Amongster, like among or amongst, as they say in England, but with E-R at the end, Amongster. All right, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for your attention, your most precious resource. I do value it. I do treasure it. I honor it. And uh, I'm grateful for it. I hope you enjoy this conversation with the great Kyle Tierman. You can find him. He's got a Substack uh, where he has a podcast that he releases occasionally and some writing that he does. And he's got uh, he's got all sorts of stuff going on. So look him up. Kyle Tierman, T-H-I-E-R-M-A-N-N. You'll find him on Substack and elsewhere, and I'll put uh, links, of course, in the show notes. Thanks for listening. This is Bread Crumbs uh, by Amongster. Catch you soon.
It's just too much for poor myopic me.、Mm. I just can't predict it now. Humanity's got bigger eyes than me.、Mm. All right, ladies and gentlemen, I am.、Uh, I just turned on the record button. I'm here with Kyle Tierman. What's your middle name? Barrett. Barrett. Kyle Barrett Tierman. All these years. I don't think I've ever known that about you, Kyle B. Tierman. Do you know what else? I don't think that for a long time I knew that Barrett had two R's and two T's. So I was spelling my middle name wrong. Were you spelling、teens. it like bear it? Like just one take、R. off your pants and bear it, bear it all for people to see. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so K- and, I, and I know you're K- your Christopher, Chris, Christopher Patrick, Christopher Patrick Ryan. Did you the most Irish con- name around? Three first names. The joke is my parents couldn't afford a last name. Fucking Anderson Cooper got them all. Fuck that guy.、Yeah. Fuck that guy and his two last names. And what's his, his middle name? Like Maximilian or something? And his fucking Vanderbilt fortune. Vanderbilt, yeah. And his steely blue eyes and his handsome visage. He actually seems like a pretty nice guy. I like his goofy laugh, a goofy、yeah. laugh on a on an anchor man. I also think Brian Williams is a nice guy. I'd like to hang out with Brian Williams. Really, I feel like Brian Williams has like he doesn't leave the house without makeup. <laughs> That's my take on Brian Williams. But Anderson seems genuine. I, I like, think, and I also he well. Does Brian Williams go outside of the the studio? Anderson seems like he has a fun job because he's constantly、yeah. going all around. Well, he does that whole sixty minutes gig, which is pretty cool, and he probably chooses what stories he wants to cover. Brian Williams, I mean, check out like、um, on YouTube, like Brian Williams on David Letterman, or you know, or some other talk show. He's fucking hilarious. And he makes fun of himself really effectively of of the whole like, you know, I am Brian Williams and this is what's happening in the world kind of thing. He's, um, yeah, he's a funny guy. And his daughter was in Girls. You know that? No, but I don't yeah, know what Girls is either. Come on, man! This is your generation. Is、uh, it Girls? That、uh, HBO show that was it was huge like ten years ago. Or less. Uh, uh, fuck, I can't remember the names of any of the people in it. I barely watched it,、uh, but it was, it was like、good. super popular among young punks of your demographic. <laughs> I, I there are there are、Barrett. large large swaths of culture that I am completely and happily blind to. Yeah, girls being one of them. Girls, the show, not girls, the creatures. <laughs> Blind to both. Um, I uh, I agree with you. I I'm the same, and and in my case, some of it's because I lived outside of the states or was traveling or whatever. So I just kind of missed the whole grunge movement, you know, musical thing.、Uh, I missed punk. I've missed video games. Basically, lots of TV shows just. Came and went, lots, and it, and it, my, and I don't know if this is an age thing or, or just a continuation of that kind of willful ignorance about certain parts of mass culture. 
but I actually take pride in not knowing like a single Taylor Swift song. Like I would totally, I only know what she looks like because recently she's everywhere, but I, I have no idea. And there are lots of things I see come up on, on social media. And it's like, I don't know who that is. And I don't want to know. I'll never know. It'll just, it's just a wave. I'm not going to catch, you know? Yeah. Well, more like you know, a, a virus I'm not going to catch. Yeah. Well, it, since um, now working uh, at a creative agency, which I do on a um, on a freelance basis, you know, the difference between a, a brand and a creative agency uh, is, you know, there, some brands just have their own internal marketing department, right? And they're then doing campaigns all from the inside. But many... Uh, will hire creative agencies. And for, for people who don't know, it's a, essentially a company that will come up with a way to make your brand more culturally relevant. So Nike's Just Do It, that came from a creative agency called Wyden and Kennedy. Uh, if you look at the um, the Old Spice, hello, ladies, does your man look like me? That's all Wyden and Kennedy. Like, so a lot of the, the Dos Equis man, the most interesting man in the world, it all c- comes externally, you know, and brands basically will go to creative agencies and say, we want you to make us cool. We want you to somehow make us relevant in the culture. And then the creative agencies specialize in doing that. And whether it's a billboard campaign or or commercials, a lot of what they're doing and what I'm doing now for the first time is having to keep a finger on the pulse of culture so that you can come up with something creative that people will sort of recognize. So like there are all these things when we're coming up with ideas like apparently pickleball is huge now. There's like a pickleball phenomenon that I totally missed, but I'm yeah. in these like these writers rooms and they're like, well, let's maybe do something with with pickleball and you're like shit i feel like now i need to stay on these little like cultural moments uh because they're often just what get a laugh you know it's similar to like what comedians you know comedians are constantly you know it it works well to be in a big city because you are more exposed to those ideas as they're coming and then you can make the joke on the idea you know while it's still relevant if if that's the kind of comedy you do, right? Like I think a lot of comedians or or creative people in general are more interested in connecting with eternal things rather than whatever the passing, you know, thing of the moment is, which is what you know, I mean, advertising is one thing where you're in the moment. It's a six week campaign or something. Um, you know, as opposed to stand up. You know, you might watch somebody stand up from five years ago and it's all like shit that just isn't funny anymore because it's about stuff that nobody gives a shit about you know totally it's it's almost not even worth it to try like to your point like writing about or talking about things that are more eternal to the human condition to have a longer shelf life yeah yeah i mean that's why they're all talking about marriage and kids and getting old and yeah uh, we were talking before we started recording about about applying language from one area uh, in another. And one example of that I think about sometimes with comedy is how comedians will say 
they use all this really aggressive language, you know? Oh, I killed last night. Oh, you slayed, man. You fucking murdered that crowd. Like, what the fuck is going on with that? What You're a, an aspiring stand-up comedian. You spent a lot of time in that world. <laughs> you're a guy who likes to think of himself Be- as funny. I I love thinking of myself <laughs> as funny. I'm one of my favorite things to do is think of myself as funny. Yeah. Uh, which is why which is why it's so detrimental when I don't get a laugh because maybe I'm not. Yeah. Uh well the 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 stand up thing was uh if either you're killing them or they're they're killing you. But I find now growing up in in Santa Cruz, which is a little surf community in in Northern California, um, we have our own jargon completely, and sometimes it will bleed into other aspects of life. Like I'll just let a gnar- a gnarly go, like oh that's gnarly. You drop a gnarly, yeah. I'll drop I'll drop a gnarly uh, here and there, and and I think gnarly works. Gnarly's gnarly's kind of made its way into other areas it has like a the idea of a gnarled tree branch i i like gnarly well gnarly was a word before you and your little friends started using it i hate to tell you you didn't make it up before we co-opted it and also santa cruz is not a a small little surf community what are you talking about fucking puerto escondido is a small surf (laughs) community santa cruz is like a how many people live in santa cruz uh, I want to say eighty thousand. Really? Oh, I would have thought it was pushing a million. No, no, it's it's still quaint. It's still quaint, but growing fast. But we uh we have our uh our own jargon. Sick was another one. I remember when my my brother was a kid, he started using sick, and my dad got mad at him because he's like, sick is sick is not a good thing. Sick yeah. is is illness, and we had to teach him uh all the sickness of the word sick but i have a um when i was a kid it was bad oh that's bad that's man bad. that's really bad yeah i mean that's the whole thing right you use a thing to indicate the opposite of it so if you're in the know you get it and everyone else is confused that's the whole point of slang especially among you know uh what's where sub sub communities or or you know right and what, and it's and it's a way to uh get like the in crowds and the out crowds right the p- right various subsects of of culture will use the acronyms and they'll use the slang just so they can tell that you're not part of their crew i have a uh my a, a buddy of mine charlie who i think you met who comes from a world of uh of business and and marketing and he's just he was very much in that world through most of his 20s and one time I was talking to him about uh, surfing big waves. Uh, there's a wave north of town called Mavericks uh, that's very famous. And, the and quaint the waves little just, wave. It's a quaint. It's a small, quaint wave. And uh, he said, so when when the waves come, like, and you're paddling out and the wave is is coming at you, but what happens if the surfer misses the deadline? The like deadline to, to catch like it. The, yeah, he's like he's using the business jargon yeah. of of uh in into surfing. I thought that was thought it was cute. Yeah, it, it's the one that 
Well, there are a bunch of them that annoy me, but the one that annoys me the most is that I, I think it's like a is it Liverpool or, or somewhere in England where they they do rhyming slang. So mm. they they they're not even using the words that they're trying that that indicate what they mean. They're using words that rhyme with the words that indicate what they mean. So it's fucking incomprehensible for anyone who doesn't know what's going on. I and I can't even replicate it. People either know what I'm talking about or they don't. And if you don't, don't bother looking it up. It's just stupid. No. Yeah. So what's going on with you, man? All good things. All good things. Uh it's been a season opener up here at, at Mavericks. Um so why is I it called up- Mavericks? Did, were there wild horses running out there before the world got fucked up? No, there was a a guy named Jeff Clark surfed the wave for years before anyone else did. It's it's a spot up in Half Moon Bay, which is a very quaint little community, Chris. It's let a, me tell it's you. It's a quaint surfing community. There there and, are places where you can get really good clam chowder, I'll bet. A lot of clam chowder. Lot, the smell of fish permeates through the entirety of Half Moon Bay. A lot of fog horns. Mm. Um and this guy would go surf Mavericks by himself, and he had a dog named Maverick. So he named the wave after his dog. Um, it's just outside the Half Moon Bay Harbor, and uh, the wave breaks quarter mile out to sea. Mm-hmm. So people will stand on the cliff, and you need binoculars to see the waves out there. Otherwise, it just looks like little specks riding riding these big walls of water. And uh, it's a beautiful spot, Um, like not a lot of development around it. And it's a wave that's sort of a wonder of the world in that it only breaks when the swells are massive. And the way the reef is shaped, uh, you can catch 60 foot waves out there. And they all break in basically the same spot again and again. So spectators can go out on boats and sit 30 feet away from these Niagara Falls style waves coming through and Mm -hmm. they'll be in complete safety. Um, So it's really incredible for for spectators to come watch. And it's just very rare that you can have those size of waves breaking basically in the same spot again and again. Right. so, so it's easy the, to catch them because you know where it's happening. There's a predictability to it that makes right. it really, really good. Um, and it's also just a very heavy, very dangerous wave because uh, the way the reef is shaped and just the size and power of of that wave will all magnify in one spot. So it'll hold a surfer down and just suck you really, really far down. There's this thing that happens... Uh, while surfing out there called tombstoning where a surfer will fall on a wave and then they'll it'll yank them down so far that a 12 foot leash is getting stretched out to 20 feet and all you can really see is the top of their surfboard barely stuck out of the top of the water so you know that when a a surfer's tombstoning they're probably 20 feet below that and hopefully they can come up for air before the next wave comes through is the surfboard a flotation device is that one of the reasons 
you don't have like breakaway leashes. Totally. Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's like a buoy attached to you and a, a few people have drowned out at Mavericks in the past few years. There have not been uh, any deaths largely because of the invention of inflation vests. So uh, a couple brands figured out a way to put what look like kind of like bulletproof vests underneath your wetsuit. And they have a bag inside the vest that attaches to CO2 canisters. And then you have a, a, a pulley that will kind of come outside or it's just like a plug that comes outside of your wetsuit. And if you get into a bad spot, you can pull it and there will be a little uh, puncture that will puncture the CO2 canister and basically turn you into the marshmallow man. And it'll it'll it'll, it's like a life jacket, you know, underneath your wetsuit. And it'll just go. Yeah. And bring you up. So that's made things quite a bit uh, safer out there. It seems like kind of an obvious invention that should have happened a long time ago. Well, I think that there's something about specifically action sports and safety that takes an unusual amount of time for the invention to catch up to the logic. Is that because like you, the lugheads like you are are just like fuck it, dude? That's not fucking I'm old lame. Chris Ryan wearing a helmet while skateboarding. Wearing a helmet. What a fuck. Yeah, I I I, uh, I interviewed a guy who was a a pro skier, and he would do this the craziest shit. Um, skiing. He he did he did street skiing. So he and his friends would go to like. New England and set up these jumps uh down staircases and on like the walls of these old libraries. It was really cool looking, so fucking dangerous what they're doing. They would and they would use these uh contraptions called winches, which are essentially generators with pulley cables attached to them. So you can get going like 35 miles an hour to hit uh, a jump like tow I, you in they'll tow you in yeah it's like a, a stationary tow you in device and none of these guys wear helmets and i was like why don't you guys wear helmets she's like it's like it's an art choice it's like that's the stupidest fucking answer i've ever heard but yeah i think that the same goes with skateboarding it's just uh surfing's quite a bit safer so when i was young i I was really into skateboarding and my mom was very happy when I switched to surfing because the medium is uh, quite a bit more flexible when you're yeah. falling face first into right. it. And then you're like, mom, I'm going out to Mavericks. I'm like, fuck. God damn it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But it's, it's so, so fun, man. I mean, the big waves don't happen all the time and I haven't had a chance to, to go out and surf waves of that size in almost two years. And it's such a remarkable, I'm going to do that. I'm going to try and talk about this without it sounding cliche and I'm probably going to fail, but the feeling of fear, because it really is scary. You're sitting out there with these other, you know, maybe 25 other guys and girls waiting for these waves to come 
and sometimes a set will come and you'll and you'll miss the deadline as uh, our friend Charlie would say and you will just I mean you will be paddling as hard as you can to make it over these 30 foot waves and it's fucking scary and it's such an incredible feeling of not having your mind be anywhere else right and the people will come from all over the world, right? So I have friends from from Morocco, from Australia, from Hawaii who will come over and surf these waves. And then afterwards, no matter, maybe you got some big waves, maybe you didn't, but we'll all go into this uh, bar in Half Moon Bay called the Old Princeton Landing. And it's kind of like the old surfer's bar. They have, you know, the, the, the uh, wooden... Uh, ceilings with like the surfboards signed surfboards from the best guys there and the feeling of of camaraderie coming in from a session like that is like like love is the best way i would describe it like you feel a sense of of connection with these people that you barely know and it's remarkably rare to feel that in in modern society I was talking to my outside brother, of war, probably outside of war. I think my brother, uh, I was just talking to my brother who's a, a firefighter and he says he feels that with, with the guys that he's with on his crew, like you have each other's backs right. and it's, uh, it's rare, man. And it's, it's a it's feeling of ecstasy, um, yeah. that, uh, that makes it very much worth it, um, for me to get to go have those experiences. How real is that feel? I mean, well, that, that's always a loaded question, right? How real is a feeling? Because feelings, a feeling, if you feel it, it's real, right? But, I mean, I think about that sometimes, like, you know, you, you'll read about these guys uh, um, in a Sebastian Junger book or something about, you know, the incredible love that they develop for one another and how, you know, it's, I got your back, man, you got mine, and and then they come back home and they, they're missing that and it drives them crazy. And some of them, you know, are depressed or, you know, whatever, have mental health disorders because they miss that so much. And that always makes me think like, yeah, OK, but if you had been assigned to a different unit, you'd be feeling that for those guys. <laughs> it's not like you just happen to get assigned to the the unit with the coolest dudes in the whole fucking military it's the experience creates the illusion of bonding with guys you're not actually bonded with you just had this experience together but how different is that from the like the the idea that people can be happy in lo- like do you do you buy the whole uh thing that uh male or like people who do the kind of mail order brides or, or arranged marriages are just as happy as everyone else. Like that. It doesn't actually matter the person that you're with. It's well, just being in that situation. I mean, it's so circumstantial, right? Like if, you know, if you're on a deserted Island and there's one woman there, you're probably going to be really into her, you know, the hottest, <laughs> hottest woman on the world. She's the hottest woman on the Island. Um, I mean, I think arranged marriages are probably different from mail order brides, 
Yeah, uh, for me, it's just this this obtuse <laughs> world in the distance that I don't really understand. Yeah, but yes, let's go arranged marriages because mail well, order brides feel a little bit. Uh, I mean, according to what I've read, uh, relationship satisfaction in arranged marriages is higher um, in Indian couples um, than it is in Indian couples who have what they call love marriages, right? Um, you know, and I think that could be due to the fact that an arranged marriage, the parents are doing the arranging and they're looking at things beyond immediate physical attractiveness. They're looking at like, you know, same values, same religion, roughly same um, economic class, same educational background, right? Like, Stuff that over time ends up being a lot more important than, you know, whatever immediate stuff people are looking at, uh, you know, on in a fucking bar or at a party or something. Right. Um, so, yeah, I I think it, it is. It, I just always think about that angle of it, you know, like, and I guess it gets into this whole idea of like, Oh, you know, she's the only girl for me thing. Um, I think there are probably millions of compatible <laughs> people that, you know, more or less. I mean, I think it's also an age thing, you know, like probably there are a lot fewer for me than there would be for you because I'm further down the road and I've got more non-negotiables. Whereas young people are more like, oh, I can sort of adapt. She's really hot. I I can get into that. Yeah, yeah. The older you get, the more peculiar you become, <laughs> the more small. Maybe, maybe peculiar or maybe just unwilling to negotiate, you know? Right, right. Yeah, yeah. You don't know what you don't know, right? Like you can be in a shitty ass relationship and just feel like, well, maybe the this this conflict is fiery. We always have such great sex afterwards. So maybe that's what I need to be in. I thought that throughout my 20s. Yeah. I sure was like, it sure passion make is for, passion. Makes this for some great sex after those makeup fights, after the <laughs> after the dishes are thrown. Right. Uh, yeah. I, it makes me think of, of, of two things. One is that uh, is th- the positive idea that like the positive view of that it's it doesn't it's not actually these guys in particular out at mavericks that i love it's just the situation it's not the war veterans that sebastian younger loves it's just the situation and it's not the the arranged marriage it's just that you're put in this confined situation and that is giving you that that's bonding so the the negative look at that is that you're not as unique as you thought you were like the idea that there's just one woman for me is sort of self-aggrandizing in that you're saying i'm so fucking special that i couldn't be with just everyone right mm-hmm. like i ha- i i have this uh i'm such an individual that not a lot works for me right um so I think that it serves that yearning for uniqueness in us and and the idea that maybe you're not so unique and you could just get thrown into any old situation and you'd feel the same emotions with a different set of people. Um, 
Like we don't like that. But the positive view of that is I see a lot of people who have, uh, they are paralyzed by decision fatigue in their lives. They don't know what path to go down. And I think that you get a lot of these kind of people, young young men in particular, who probably reach out to you on your podcast, who are like, I don't know what I should be doing with my life because I have all of these choices and I, I have all these potential paths and I don't know which one to take. And maybe the correct answer is you just need to take one because you'll do all right if a bunch of the other people in that path have seemed to do all right. It's a little bit for me like like exercise. Like it's it's pretty good for most people, no matter who you are. Um and there are these there are a certain truths that tend to work for most people what do you think about choosing a path Uh, yeah about choosing a path and that like if you just choose one it will it's better than choosing nothing and being locked in decision fatigue yeah i i think a, a lot of the people who reach out to me seem to know like they i feel like a lot of the effect of therapy, for example, is just hearing yourself say certain things out loud rather than in your head. And when you hear them out loud, you know, we've all had that experience where you have a dream and you, you're confused by it and you're telling your friend like, oh, man, I had this dream last night that I was like about to go on stage and I was naked. And and as you're telling the dream, you're like, oh, it's fucking obvious what this dream's about. How <laughs> now I've already like exposed it. Oh, shit. Um, and I feel like a lot of stuff's like that, like just saying it out loud is itself hugely helpful and clarifying uh, what's going on. Um, but I think a lot of you know, I often think about those um, nature specials. I forget what the bird is, if it's Arctic tern or something like that, that the the nests are on this cliff overlooking a beach, you know, where the ocean's coming in. The, the Arctic Ocean is crashing against the rocks below. And all these chicks hatch at about the same time. And they're sort of like, you know, testing out their wings and they're getting into it. And But there's no you can't, there's no practice. You're in this nest on a cliff and you just fucking have to go and trust that you're going to figure it out on the way down, you know? And the thing is they have to fly over this beach and get to the water. And there are all these Arctic foxes patrolling the beach to eat the ones that crash, you know? And uh, so it's fucking scary, but I feel like that's the thing. It's like people, young people, especially I think young people raised in a culture that coddles them and protects them and doesn't let them go out and play and fall and skin their knees and make mistakes and, you know, light shit on fire and just do all the stupid shit that kids did 50 years ago that they're not doing anymore. Um. I feel like those young adults get to a point where they're like they're like that bird on the cliff and they just can't jump because they feel like they should know how to fly. They need to be safe. How can I be safe? There is no way to be safe. You just have to fucking go and figure it out on the way. And the and if you don't do that, you never learn that 
there are people and experiences and things that are going to happen once you set off, once you leave and, and, you know, reach escape velocity, then the world helps you. Things you can't possibly imagine sitting at home, you know, or you were talking about exercise. Like how many people, oh, I'm going to exercise. Well, but first I need to get some really good exercise equipment. So what should I get? Oh, I'm going to read all the reviews of all the fucking running shoes and all the weight systems and all that. And you, you you just spent a year sitting on your couch reading Amazon <laughs> reviews. You haven't done anything, right? I, I feel like that's the problem. Like, forget yeah. it. Who gives a shit? Forget it. You stop preparing. Just go. Well, not only that, but I think that it's the, so the, the what was the bird? The Arctic turn. An Arctic turn. Our culture is it's. It's these baby birds that also now have the expectation that they need to be the best fucking peregrine falcon in the world. Otherwise, it's not even worth trying. Mm. And I I mean, I've felt this in my own life where the expectations that I set on myself are paralyzing. And it leads to a really unhealthy thought, which is, well, unless I can be exceptional at this, I shouldn't even try. And that is a that's a shitty thought to have. And it goes back to what you often talk about, which is that our whole culture um, praises these kinds of lopsided personalities who have only become great at this one thing. And then we herald them as heroes rather than people who are just well balanced and you know, good at a bunch of a bunch of things. They've had a lot of life experiences um, and maybe they're not world class in any one of them, but they're living very rich and and deep and varied lives. And it's something that I constantly need to remind myself of. Uh, and it's caused, a, I mean, just a huge amount of not starting things and, and just generally self-loathing because I am setting these expectations on myself that take a lot of the joy uh, out of just going on the bike ride. Right. Yeah. That we, I think we, we have a habit both visually and cognitively of filling in the blank spaces, um, you know, with what we have reason to expect would be there. So an example would be, you know, an old perv like me is driving down the road and you see this woman walking along the side of the road from behind and she's got a nice ass and long legs and long hair. And you're like, oh, man. And and I imagine her like, so now I've seen her 360, even though all I've seen is the back. And as I drive by, I look in the rearview mirror and see it's a dude you're like, with a fucking ah, beard. Simon Rex with a wig on. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah, but I filled Simon. it all in based upon the limited information. You never I had. look at Simon again the same way. <laughs> Simon does have a really nice ass. Sure does. Uh, but I think we do that cognitively as well. So you see someone, you know, uh, fucking Chris Rock or somebody, and he's like, wow, he's a great comedian. He's really smart. And you just imagine he must have a great 
relationship with his partner and his kids really love him and he's got a cool house and he's a really good cook and he's got great taste in music. And that's not only not necessarily true, given what you said a minute ago about how these people tend to be very imbalanced personalities because they're so driven, it's probably less likely to be true than it is for just some random stranger, right? Who's got a balanced life. So it's, it's strange. It reminds, I often think about the story your father told about uh, he was at a, dinner party at some billionaire's house oh oh it was um the the guy who wrote catch 22 uh joseph um, heller joseph heller wrote catch 22 and uh you want me to tell the story mm-hmm. so it's, it's one that my dad tells it's not me. your story but it's, it's your dad's story so that he yeah. heard from someone else oh i thought uh, your dad was at the dinner no, he wasn't. No, no, this oh, is just a famous. Fuck. It's just a famous story. That, so, so Joseph Heller was at some hedge fund billionaires dinner party. Yeah. And Catch 22, which was a massive success, had come out. And Heller's friend said, you know, this guy makes more money in a day than you made on your entire Catch 22 book uh and joseph heller said yeah but i got something he doesn't and guy goes what's that and guy goes enough it's hard to have enough you know someone should market a product called enough n-u-f-f what is that it's enough how much did it cost enough like just when I was a kid, there were pet rocks. Somebody actually sold rocks. And people would like put them on their fucking windowsill. And it's like, right. that's my pet rock. I think we should ha- we should sell nuffs. I think that that is a great idea. Let's let's take it from the the let's let's do a little marketing campaign for for enough. Dude, so between every- you and me, you've got the marketing jujitsu chops. I can come up with really stupid ideas. I mean, motherfucker, we're gonna make was just we're gonna make beginning. We're gonna make billions off of this enough <laughs> idea. I mean, imagine the pitch meeting. Okay, so it's just like, what would it be? It, it, would, it would have to be soft, right? It would have to be. I'm imagining like a like a bean bag, but like um, yeah, like it's a it, sheep uh, sheep fur. What's that called? You know, the sheepskin. Like a yeah. little furry ball. And you just hold it. It's something to remind you. The The whole idea of the product is is to remind you that you have enough. Right. Because it's an ent- there's an entire culture telling you that you aren't enough. You don't have enough. And it's just this little reminder. You'll never get enough. You can't afford enough. Yeah. But for $5.99, <laughs> you can afford you can enough. Afford it. Yeah. You can have, you can have two enoughs. You could collect nuffs, have an entire enough collection. Yeah. Uh, I have more, I have more than enough. I need to give, I need to give it away. Um, okay. So, so it's, let's say it's a bean bag. It's a bean bag that you can just, you carry around with you and you, and it, and it, and it's the reminder that whenever you think about needing to like, what if it put like somehow like a, a delay or or it could be like a uh 
a, a, a software system. Like, have you heard of, uh, you know about Freedom? So Freedom's this app that will block you off of your internet for a certain amount of time. Mm. So you're like, I don't want to be on my internet for the next hour. Freedom will so block So th- this you. will just freeze your bank account. So yeah, what if it froze any Amazon purchases for three days? <laughs> Except for nuffs. You could always for you could always you could, buy nuffs. You could always buy you could buy as many nuffs as you want. <laughs> but but it, it makes you need to decide whether or not you really want that right. uh that that next that Amazon fucking uh squatty potty. It's like a gun purchase. You gotta wait, you know, 72 hours. Right. And I think there's a great Simpsons episode where where Homer goes in and uh, they're like, OK, you need to wait 72 hours. And he goes, 72 hours. But I'm mad now. <laughs> okay, so, oh, so I love that. So the whole the whole yeah. idea, you, do, you don't have enough. Um, where, where are the places and culture that we'd want to advertise? So where are the places where people feel most like they don't? Are, are taught to believe that they don't have enough and that they are not enough. Uh, I mean, certainly prison. I mean, you, prison. Okay. <laughs> we'll that was dark. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Great market right there. Okay, yeah. Well, we do accept cigarettes as payments. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> C- cigarettes and uh cig- cigarettes and promises that you'll kill our enemies. Right, right. Owed favors. Uh, okay, well, I guess models, you know, in the, in the the area of uh of modeling, uh they're they're always taught that they're not enough. So maybe just it would be we'd have to take out an ad in in like Times Square, like the biggest most advertised two places. Mm. Uh in culture um i'm I'm picturing enough being you know this sort of soft hand you know like a tennis ball size yeah Um, it's like a stress ball but it's enough ball yeah and you can always just put it down your pants it's like a nice warm little like furry thing you can put down your pants men and women would love it for men, it would, it, you know, if you're not quite enough, your package isn't enough. The the enough will fill out the package. People who are listening, are, are we going to keep this in the podcast? or Because we've been talking about nuffs here for about 20 minutes. I don't know. <laughs> I'm having a good time. I, 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 think, I, can, I, I hear I a lot of need... people saying enough, enough with enough. Enough of this. <laughs> Uh, I'm uh, having a good time. I think yeah. that we're going to get, I think we're, we, we got our core core audience right here and they're going to come on with new ideas on, on where to put these nuffs all around. Where to market culture. the nuffs. Yeah. Where to all right. Well, nuffs. send us your ideas for the nuff and, uh, you know, we'll let, I think we should do some sort of a profit sharing, uh, you know, have it, yep. you know, it's gotta be a, a company that sort of walks the talk, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, I love the idea of the nuff down your pants because then, you know, even if you've got a, a real small John, you can say, I'm enough. I got enough. I got enough. I got enough right down there, baby. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, speaking of having enough right down there, are you, would you say you're a size queen when it comes to waves? Uh, I, I think I, I, I must, or I'm comp, or I'm just compensating for something. Who knows? No, but seriously, like when you've surfed a 60 foot wave, 
can you i mean surf in a 10 foot wave or are you like uh uh, uh it it is a mm, you well it's it it does do something like after you surf perfect waves where it sort of ruins the rest of surfing for a little while i think that that's it's probably like having a really good cup of coffee right like when you start drinking coffee you don't know that it's bad until you have a really nice strong cup of coffee and then you're like Ugh. so yeah i think that uh just the the better i've or just the more experience i've had in the ocean the more i enjoy uh surfing waves that give me a a, a feeling it's really it's like a feeling that you're going for it's a it's a velocity that continues to make it exciting for me are big uh, waves faster than small oh, yeah. waves yeah you're going you're going faster because uh, you're because you're the vertical drop is higher or is the I, wave actually moving across the seabed faster both so I mean, the simple analogy is just picture going down a hill on a little hill on a bike and picture going down a big hill on a bike so mm-hmm. yes velocity and then secondly the storm is moving at a greater speed than small swells so mm. there's just more there's just more power in the whole in the whole uh deal um but yeah it's 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 a good time man i mean it's uh it's it also is really fun for me now living down in los angeles because i sort of get to drop into santa cruz and and surfing without being subsumed by it um i mean it's a it's i feel very grateful that i don't live and breathe surf Hmm. uh because it is very one-dimensional in in a lot of ways and i think that people don't see you know it's, it's it's the it's the birds flying off the cliff like if you don't leave if i if i never would have left this town uh i i never would have seen all that i was missing and I right. think that now uh, coming back to this and, and just being deep in it, I'm able to do it with a much greater perspective um, and just appreciation of, of doing the thing and understanding that it's uh, it's a hell of a lot different than, than working a five day work week. You know, it just, it's, it's really good to, hurl yourself into different worlds that you know nothing about um and that's been really fun for me you know living in la i'm not around a bunch of surfers i'm around a bunch of writers and people in advertising shitheads a bunch of fucking shitheads who cut you off in traffic um so it's yeah so it's been a great i I feel you know i think even since last time i came on your podcast which was a couple years ago during covid um I was, I think, I, I think I, uh, our last podcast was just pretty much like a a Kyle breakup therapy session because I had got gotten out of a a big relationship um, that I was in for like eight years and with the Russian the, the with the Russian with the Russian mail order bride exactly. Yeah. Um, I had to kill her, but I was really sad about it. I was broken up. Um, but uh, 
that trip, you know, I, I bought the RV Starflight, came out and visited you in Colorado. And speaking to this idea of like just choosing a path and confining, like confining yourself to how how confines can bring about, I think, a lot of, of good. COVID was hugely confining. Um, there was not a, like I, I couldn't just kind of choose any path and flounder about and living in that RV for a couple of years made me start writing a shit ton. Um, and then the opportunity came up to, to move down to LA after that. And I think that without COVID and without kind of confining myself to just practicing a craft, um, none of that good would have come. And I probably would have just stayed in Santa Cruz. Yeah. It's always, it's always confusing to think about stuff like that, you know, like, in retrospect, because we're all, you know, we tend to say, well, I'm so glad my perspectives are broadened. And, you know, I, I got out of Santa Cruz and I got to see different worlds that I knew nothing about. And and I agree with you. That's great. That's enriching and all that. But on the other side, it also. I love to where, I, where I'm like, I've just seen so much of the world. I moved to L.A. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so erudite now. <laughs> it reminds me of this conversation I had with uh, Tony Gonzalez, the the Hall of Fame football player. He he tells this amazing story about how when he was at Berkeley, he was uh, you know just incredibly naturally gifted athlete. He was on the basketball team and the football team at Cal, and. You know, he was kind of, he'd start some games, but other games he was on the bench. He didn't really practice much. He didn't take it real seriously. He was just, you know, very talented, very gifted physically. And one night he was up in the Berkeley Hills looking down over the the bay. And he was watching this plane take off from the San Francisco air, airport. And he thought, yeah, he was like, fuck, if I don't take shit seriously. I'm just going to go back where I grew up and get a job and, you know, sell used cars or something. But if I really apply myself, I could be on that plane and I could go to who knows, you know, amazing places. And so it was a real pivotal moment in his life. And he decided to apply himself and I guess he quit the basketball team. He chose football. He started really working out and taking shit seriously. And he started and then he got drafted and he spent his entire career playing in Kansas City. <laughs> shit. Uh, I took one plane flight. I got on that plane and that and was the only one. And Kansas it fucking landed to Kansas City. Yeah, man. <laughs> oh my god that's so funny uh, anyway but the you know what i was gonna say is like the you know there's the trade-off right because you see some you know it's like we have a friend who shall remain nameless but this guy has like slept with the most beautiful women in the world dozens and dozens of them and is this a guy ever gonna be happy with a woman you know like is it possible for him to ever accept the humanity of a single person, you know, I think that you can go too far is what I'm saying with the, you know, 
with the sort of diversification of perspective. And sometimes I worry that I've done that in my life. Like, is there any place that I would really be happy living or do I, am I constantly going to be like sort of hyper aware of what's missing, you know, from wherever you are? Well, you moved around a few times as a kid, right? Yeah. So how much do you think uh, your itchy feet uh, and and desire to constantly be wanderlusting to the next location is a result of moving around as a kid? Well, I don't think it's a result of it, you know, because like my sister, for example, moved precisely the same number of times as I did uh, at different times in her life, obviously, because she's four years younger than me. But so I, I, I think you could react to that experience either by saying, this is great, I want to keep doing it, or by saying, that really sucked, I'm tired of finding new friends every couple of years, I want to just spend my life in one place, you know. But I will say that I I do think it made it easier for me, having decided that that's what I wanted to do for a lot of my life. Um, it, I, I remember someone, you know, some trip saying like, dude, like, Jesus, don't you don't you miss home? And I was like, where's that? I don't have Mm. a home to miss, right? My parents live in a house I didn't grow up in. I don't know where shit is. I've never lived in that house. You know, they moved there after I was already out of college. Um, You know, I've got friends in different places. I don't really have any childhood friends at all because, you know, who keeps in touch with someone you haven't seen since you were 13, you know? Um, So... Yeah, I think it made it easier for me in the sense that I uh, I don't have that connection to a place um, weighing me down. And I've started over so many times that it doesn't really bother me. I mean, I was talking to someone recently who was thinking of moving to Europe and she was like, you know, I don't know. I, go, I don't know anybody there. What am I going to do? And to me, it's like hang out in a year, you'll have friends like, you know, it's there are people everywhere. And I think that kind of gets back to what we were saying earlier about romantic stuff. And like, you know, because I feel like if you put me in the army, I'm going to, I'm going to have really deep connections to the guys in my squad, whatever fucking squad you put me into. And then I'll desert. But before that day comes, <laughs> I will em. be so <laughs> goddamn committed to my troop. <laughs> Where's Chris when the battle started? Oh, no. Chris is using Chris the, the bathroom. Barcelona. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. hey, here's something we should talk about, because I haven't really talked about it on my podcast yet. And you can uh, you you can assist me in this conversation. I was going to do a Roma about it, but it's probably better to do it with you because it is an experience I think that we share to some extent. You uh, about a year and a half ago, I think, started this thing where you were going to do like a no beer year, and yes. you wrote to me and were like, "Hey, dude, you want to join? We're going to do this thing with no alcohol for a year." And if I remember correctly, my response was something like, fuck off, Kyle. Yeah, you had something snarky. And then a few months later, a doctor told me you should take a couple months off alcohol and get your liver tested because this shit doesn't look right. 
And that was a lot more convincing than an email from Kyle. And I did. And I just never went back. Little do you know, it was me pretending to be the doctor. (laughs) I just went back a second time. Wow. That Asian outfit, that disguise was (laughs) excellent. Yeah. I I got the wig from Simon. Um, So, yeah. So now you're off the you're off the sauce. I haven't. So yesterday I had a beer. Okay. For the first time in over a year. Wow. And I didn't really like it. So it tasted really sweet. It was a Sierra Nevada, which I used to really like. And I used to think Sierra Nevada was like a very clean, crisp flavor. I mean, it's got the mountains on the front. It's got to be. And it's green. It's got that minty green can, you know, it's like, come on. Um, yeah, but it, it just, it tasted syrupy. I could really taste the sugariness of alcohol, you know? Right. It's hugely sugary. I, I, alcohol is, I mean, that's one of the main things and it just spikes your sugar levels immensely. And that, right. Like the, the, the recent thing and among all the health nuts, right. is just don't drink sugar because the way sugar impacts your glucose levels is so much different than even if you're eating a pastry because it just goes straight down into your stomach. Um, well, I so I, I have thoughts because I've done, I, I did two years of the one year no beer, um, but let me hear what what were, so you, you were doing uh, non-alcohol beer throughout. Yeah, right. I started drinking this athletic uh, brewing IPA. Yeah. You know, maybe a month or two after I stopped drinking entirely. Right. Um, And you don't you don't really smoke weed. You know, maybe once a month or something. Yeah. Occasionally. Uh, Not often. I used to uh, a lot. I used to smoke pretty much every day, you know, when I was in college and my 20s. Yeah. So, Um, yeah. What 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 would you say having a couple beers? Because like when I would go up to your spot in Topanga, uh, for you abandon us, um, you'd have a few beers. Like we would maybe have three or four beers, chatting late into the night. For me, it it was always beer was always a way to s- relax my thinking. Like after a day of just like, okay, I'm like thinking a bunch or or a big day of whatever physical exercise is just like it felt like a release valve mm. that was difficult to get anywhere else. Um, what was the effect that alcohol had on you? Well, this is the thing. I I uh how to disentangle the the different effects. I I I think that in retrospect, the alcohol wasn't really having an effect on me. I think the ritual of having a cold, frosty beer at the end of the day was a much bigger component of it than the chemicals in the whatever's in the glass. Um, But I didn't understand that at the time, right? I thought that it was, in fact, the alcohol that was relaxing. But the big surprise has been how little it matters. You know, I drink a couple athletic 
and it is beer. I mean, it's made, it's not like, you know, it's not like a fake thing that, uh, it's not like it's made out of fucking, you know, pine trees and, you know, like they do that with coffee. It's like, oh, it's, it's made out of, it's, you know, made out of, what do they make that fucking shitty fake coffee out of like lentils or something? You mean it's the not deca- like, decaf coffee? No, there's some bullshit. Something else. Roasted mud barley water. or something. <laughs> oh, yeah. Mud water. <laughs> Is that what you're thinking of? Is it mud water? <laughs> no, mud water is uh, not pretending to be coffee. That's for sure. No. But anyway, yeah. the, the point is that I like the flavor. I like the ritual and the chemicals themselves. I, I don't think they really did anything to me other than make me feel tired. Like I never really felt like, oh, I need a drink to take the edge off. Like, uh, I don't really have much of an edge to begin <laughs> yeah, with. You're, you're, uh, you're a soft, a soft obtuse shape. There's I'm no a dull, edge. A dull blade. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, but the thing is, you know, again, like, okay, what effect did it have? Another effect, I would say, that, again, has very little to do, if anything, to do with the chemicals is I spent a lot of time struggling with the question of like, why am I drinking? Because I don't really like the feeling. I like the flavor of beer. I like, you know, the ritual of having a beer at the end of the day, but I know it's not good for me. I know my father had liver cancer uh, I know he had a fucking liver transplant that I lived through, you know, with him. Um, I know that the health effects are a net loss. I know I've been drinking pretty steadily since I was 21, 22 years old. Um, you know, living in Spain, my alcohol intake went up a lot because that's Spain, you know, you don't have a meal where you're not having a glass of wine, not even lunch, you know, um, and a couple of beers before dinner and then a couple of bottles of wine at dinner and then maybe a beer or a cocktail after dinner. That's a normal fucking Spanish dinner, you know? So I was aware of all that and it was bothering me and I, I kept sort of making these deals with myself like, okay, well, I'll just have, I'll have five drinks a week and, you know, then I'll decide I'll spread them out how I want to, or I'll just have one beer a day because most of the pleasure is in that first beer. And then I have two or three beers and then it's just empty calories and stupidity. Right. So I would make all these sort of deals and arrangements that would break down sooner or later. Right. Or I'll go the month of January and not have anything. And I'd make it to like January 22nd and I'd be in a bar watching a playoff game with buddies and everybody's got beers. And I'm like, all right, 22 days, that's almost a month, you know, fuck it. I'll, I'll, you know, let's round up from here. (laughs) Round up, And that was making me think like, am I a fucking alcoholic? Like right. what, what's going on? Cause it is really hard for me to go for a month without drinking, you know? And then you sent me that thing and it's like, uh, let's go for a year without drinking. And I'm like, fuck that, man. I get a lot of pleasure from drinking. I'm not gonna, but then I stopped it for a year and I don't fucking miss it at all. I don't even feel it. It's weird. Like all the time, all the w- worry about that. It's like growing up, I was really concerned about quicksand. 
because every show I saw on TV, <laughs> fucking quicksand, man. Everyone's getting stuck in the quicksand. And it was I the, know it was the, ter- to... the terrorists of the 70s. <laughs> exactly. And here it was I am. Al-Qaeda for you. I've never fucking seen quicksand. Oh, All that anxiety so for nothing. Jesus. Quicksand, Al-Qaeda, great white sharks. Oh, sharks. Come on. <laughs> I hope you enjoyed that conversation. If you want to hear the rest of it, please consider subscribing to the podcast at chrisryan.substack.com. Five bucks a month, 50 bucks a year. Discount. Uh, And if you can't afford it or you live in a place where you don't have access to credit cards or the international monetary system, please don't hesitate to let me know. And I will happily hook you up. And all I ask is that you pay it forward in your life, do a favor, chop some wood for somebody, give somebody a ride. Um, you know, just, just, uh, spread it around a little bit. I'm happy to, to hook you up. So drop me a line if you can't afford it, or you live in Iran or Afghanistan or Pakistan or someplace else where you can get in trouble for this kind of shit. I can't believe people in Iran are listening to this podcast. Shout out to you. I hear so many great things about Iran. Young, smart, sophisticated, beautiful, happy, intelligent people. And what the fuck is up with that government? Oh, I mean, not that I've got anything to brag about over here, but I don't know. Uh, We seem to be headed in that direction. But in any case, thank you for listening. And uh, if you can afford it and you want to support the podcast, Substack is the way to do it. The other way to do it, since we're coming into holiday season, at least those of us in the Christian capitalist nations, is to use my Amazon affiliate link, which I will provide in the show notes for this. Just click on it. It'll take you through to Amazon. Best thing to do if you're asking me, is to bookmark that and use that as your Amazon link so you don't need to remember. You don't need to always go through my website or whatever. Just go through once, bookmark that landing spot, and a small percentage of whatever you spend on Amazon will kick back to support the podcast. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. And I will shut the fuck up now. And let you listen to Carsey Blanton reminding you of the ineffable temporal nature of life itself, including yours and mine, ladies and gentlemen. Sending out a lot of love to you. I hope you're feeling good. Bye. He said, baby, what's a big deal? Feel what you want to feel. Say what you want to say. You're gonna die one day For example, I could kiss you Just because I want to What's the difference if you turn away? I'm gonna die one day Why do you waste your time Thinking about your reputation Trying to meet an expectation Wondering what they're gonna say Your body is an animal
doesn't ask for much A little music and a soft touch Why don't you let it out to play Your heart is in a birdcage Singing in your chest You wanna shut it up but give it a rest You're gonna die one day Why do we waste our time Thinking about a reputation to the ground.